This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Anna Forrest and Jose Calarco about universal love, ancient wisdom, freedom, and the book Fierce Medicine and other thoughts in between. Anna Forrest is an inspiration and has been changing people's lives for over 45 years. She is an internationally recognized pioneer in yoga and emotional healing. She is the creatrix of Forest Yoga, a mystic, visionary, philanthropist, author, and medicine woman. Anna crafted forest yoga while working through healing from her own life's traumas, abuse, addictions, and the ongoing suffering from chronic injuries and illnesses. The process of healing herself inspired her to teach others how to heal themselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Forest yoga is a powerfully physical, internally focused practice that emphasizes how to integrate the transformative experiences from the mat into purposeful daily life. Anna took her first yoga class at age 14 and became a certified instructor in 1975. Anna used yoga and Native American ceremony to save her own life. It is her intent to pass that life-saving ability forward. Her study and clinical application of healing modalities is vast and includes homeopathy, naturopathy, anatomy, reflexology, acupressure, craniosacral treatments, regression therapy, Reiki, polarity, hands-on healing, and ceremony. All these inform her work and lead to her becoming a wise, intuitive teacher and healer. Jose Calarco is Anna's co-director of Forest Yoga. Jose comes from a long history of shamanism, the arts, music, and healing, bringing his decades of experience as an artistic prodigy to Forest Yoga. Jose is also director of the legendary Australian Indigenous company Descendants Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Dance Theatre, www. Descendants.com.au Descendants won the UNESCO United Nations competition at the World's Best Indigenous Live Show in a field of over 70 countries in Seoul, Korea, 2004. Jose's ceremonies acknowledge the custodians of the land and build a bridge to the spirit world, calling on the ancestors to participate. Jose creates ceremonies based upon his lifetime of experiences, innovatively weaving creation stories, poetry, and music into the yoga practice. To learn more about Anna and Jose and their work, please visit forest.yoga. Here is the interview with Anna Forrest and Jose Calarco. In your own words, who is Anna Forrest and Jose Carlaco? Uh, Jose Carlaco is a, a human being, I, I think, but really he may be a spirit having a human experience. Probably that is the case. Uh, my background is uh, I'm Spanish-Italian heritage, uh, but uh, I live in Australia 
although Anna and I live in hotel rooms because we're on the road constantly as yoga teachers, medicine people, and singers. Uh, my background, I came from uh, a musical background as a guitar player, piano, drummer, singer, songwriter, artistic director. I spent a lot of my life on the road with my Indigenous Aboriginal company, Descendants Aboriginal Dance Company, and we toured the four corners of the world promoting the world's oldest culture. Uh, I'm also involved in yoga, forest yoga, as co-director of forest yoga with Anna, and uh, we tour the world extensively. I'm also a medicine person uh, slash musician, and I have a lot of interest in shamanism and uh, magic. Anna? So I started yoga in 1973, and came into it with a lot of pain and a lot of problems and slowly through yoga and then more so through the Native American ceremonies began to heal my problems and did one of the ultimate acts of healing which is choose to live and then connect to my spirit and start to live as my spirit dictates. And so how that has translated is, as Jose mentioned, is traveling all over the world and teaching people in all, as many different countries as we can reach, giving people the tools for making their life worthy and making their life something they desire to live in and to have the tools to heal their addictions or their injuries or their heartbreak or whatever their problems are. That's our spirit pledge is to do our part in mending the rainbow hoop of the people, which is the people of all the colors but those people also include the animal people and the tree people, the people, everything that lives on earth. So basically we combine both our life experiences of what we know and what we do, and we bring it into the yoga classroom to help healing. We're focused on the only thing is like we teach people how to vision quest on the mat for like what's next or what, compelling thing do they need to find out about themselves and reclaiming their self or how to move forward into building their life with purpose very exciting stuff yeah it sounds like it very much yeah thank you so i have a few warm-up questions as i mentioned off record before we talk more precisely about some of the work that you do my first question is what is the spirit and what is to be spiritual, as a lot of people say, and what is to practice spirituality? Now, that is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> to be spiritual, firstly, we must come out of the mental noise. The spirit is nowhere to be seen in our own mental neurosis, psychosis. The spirit is nowhere to be found there. We need to come underneath the mental noise in a fertile place, which Anna and I call the second attention, which we try to bring the students into a second attention. A second attention being an attention that includes everything. It's not a concentration. A concentration is to concentrate on one thing and doesn't include everything. And when we're in this fertile place, outside of ourselves, outside of our conflict, then this is when we can experience love. Not love in a superficial sense, I love you, you love me, like a contractual obligation like marriage, but a love that has no bounds. And usually this is where we try to take our classes each and every time into a place of feeling and not thinking. And then we can see that the physical external masks that we put on, nothing more than a, like a fabricated self, a fabricated idea that the mind has created. And the only way to experience spirit is to let that go. So all our perception is outwardly with the ideas uh, of what the mind brings. But during a class, 
our savasanas, our moving. It's like a moving meditation. And then at the end, we have a dream time savasana where we take the person literally out of their mind. And people often come up with tears or uh, renewed understanding or open heart. Or visions. And visions. And this is what I believe could be the spirit, the, the spirit being outside of the mind's nonsense. Yeah, this is a, an interesting, I never heard these two words together, second attention. Are you somehow speaking of the word or this, what we call intuition? That's an interesting question too. It, it could well be intuition. And we have to ask, is intuition part of the mind's process? There's two forms of thinking. The first form of thinking comes from the neurotic day-to-day -day ego self is just formulated thinking. And then there's a thinking, like a divine inspiration, where the thought comes outside of the boundaries of the mind, and, and, and that's intuition too. And I could say, yes, very much so, that intuition is part of the second attention because you're receiving information outside of the neurotic self. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Is imagination also a kind of form of thought, Jose? Yes and no. Uh, being a composer, I, I'm really an expert on this, this part of it. Being a composer, when I'm sitting at the piano trying to complete a work, when I'm in my mind, I, the mind, usually it's a combination. For me to find the answer, I have my subliminal self which is the divine inspiration and then i have my the waking conscious self my everyday mind that i'm stuck with and sometimes to complete the work takes two the subliminal mind which comes outside of myself often you have to be open to receive often having a free mind that is not formulated or, or cemented in society's fears and uh, and all all of that i find that the subliminal self and the ideas that come from the subliminal liminal self could also be the spirit and the inspiration as well imagination is very necessary in ceremony so for example if we're doing four direction ceremony and we're inside of a room when we face each direction, we need to imagine, to conjure, to connect to whatever that element is or the planet or the sun. We need to call it in. And that's action of imagination. In our modern day cultures, imagination is something that is very disrespected. And yet imagination combined with spiritual intent and spiritual discipline is what makes for art, what makes for true ceremony. And, and I, I find that there's two sorts of imagination as a music composer. There's the subliminal imagination is wonderful because that truly does come from the place we call the second attention or the fertile grounds of the spirit. And that's amazing when you receive, you receive it like in a whole. Like if I'm at the piano, like I hear the whole thing and subliminal mind saying that's what it should be and then the everyday mind has to sit at the piano and and figure it out because subliminal of ourselves thinks in holes not fragments anna you said i choose or i chose to live so that's an interesting statement um so i have a question for you what is life what is this experience in a human body about or more precisely, not about really, not the meaning of this, but what is it? What is life? That's a huge question, and I think the question varies depending on who's living the life. Right. <laughs> Me and my life may not matter to another person, but they have something else that connects them to their heart, to their passion, to their spirit, or that potential is there. I think life is sacred. How to express and how to live one's life is part of the dance of connecting to spirit and developing and evolving. Like e evolving 
is, I consider, our spiritual responsibility. And in the process of unfolding these different petals of oneself, one also hopefully gets motivated and compelled to take actions in the world. Our actions are pertaining to healing or pertaining to creating or pertaining to helping people adventure into the great mystery. This is what drives my life. But what is life? Yeah, I, I actually don't have a good way to say that other than what I just said. Jose, what do you Do you want to add something, Jose, to that question? Life is the illusion. <laughs> Ultimately, probably an illusion. More than likely. However, that doesn't just toss it aside because it's ultimately going to be an illusion. We all come through the system and get taught everything wrong. Our parents teach us wrong, teachers teach us wrong, religion, politics, media. We get full of lies. We grow up to be neurotic, unstable people. And there comes a time where we need a breakthrough and we need to escape from the illusion that we have built, all the perceptions around us. And like the snake, we must start shedding skin. Every I believe, has a dream, a purpose, or a goal. But unfortunately, I've just seen way, way, way too many people throw away their dreams because of fear, that everything becomes too hard because of fear. And there's nothing worse in this life, nothing worse than a human going to the grave without exploring the potential, or as we say, dying with the music inside. There's nothing worse. And for me, I come from a, a history of abuse and disconnect and pain and suffering and all that stuff. And so if years and years ago you'd said like, you know, well, what's your dream? It's like, well, I don't have one. And people that are stuck in that, it's like, yes, you need to heal some. You need to move forward enough. And then you make a new dream. If you've lost your dream orig from whatever it was originally, that's okay. You create it again. You know, like I've had people say to me, like, oh, I don't have a mission in my life. Like, it's supposed to be handled to handed to them on a little platter. It's like, it's yours to quest for. You have to work to discover what that is. It's not going to be just handed to you. This isn't child's play. It's going to come and to you. You need to quest for it. And we can help, but you are still the one that has to make the steps and do the work and make the discoveries. And then once you have your dream or your purpose or your mission or whatever it is, the more you walk along the pathway of that, the more it changes. It grows as you walk on that path. Absolutely love that. This idea of taking responsibility for everything and creating the life, <laughs> creating what we call life. My follow-up question to that, what is life, is what do you think is the opposite of life? Death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's too obvious <laughs> um, for the physical body, yeah, for sure. The opposite of life is to live life with hatred, mm. with wounds, and all you have to do is going to... Uh, just look at what's happening in our country right now in America. It is really, really sad. Is the new love. It's like riddled with hatred like a cancer. Hate is the new love. Now it's okay to go and attack people and burn and loot and uh, good friends on Facebook, just one disagreement and they're they're hating one another and saying, I'm going to report you to the IRS or I'm going to tell your husband about this. Or, I've ever seen hatred. This is anti-life because while you wake up every morning in a body riddled with hatred, riddled with revenge, those seeking revenge need to dig two graves. They need to dig their own grave as well. And I've had a lot of this in our time. The more you try to do in the world, the more that hatred and evil sometimes tries to dismantle you. And I feel sorry for these people that wake up every morning in a body riddled with hatred because there's life. There is no life there. 
That's not the beautifully said. And I feel that is a very important part of life cycles. But there's a lot of little deaths. Like for example, I have to let my addictions die in order to move on. So I didn't have to die, even though I was very confused about that when I was first starting to choose life. But I needed to let the addictions and the seductions of them die. I needed to go after my own hatreds, which is really uncomfortable. Them out, like digging out a plant by the roots, so that hatred didn't control my life because I was sick of it. These these are aspects of death that's very important. If you look at the four directions, and if you look at the seasons, things die every year. Beliefs are 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 following of misinformation and delusion and lies. That stuff needs to die in order for new perceptions and more of the truth to become to flower. Death has its place. So in a way, life and death, they are one and the same in a way. They're so connected. They are all part of the same thing. Uh, Right. Yeah. So I love one of your videos you sent me, three of them, I believe. There's one that's titled Forest Yoga, You Can Be Free. And that has something to do with one of my questions, a question that I like to ask. What is to be free? What is freedom to you? Freedom has a lot of different steps for me personally. First was to be free of the suicidal mind because my mind would want to commit suicide frequently. That was, that was my battle in choosing life, was to choose life over death. Then to be free of the addictions, the bulimia, the anorexia, the drugs, the alcohol, the cigarettes, to be free of that. Then to be free of my hating thoughts, to be free of my neurosis. These are all steps in freedom. And find out what the hell else is there besides my neurosis, my hatred, my addictions. There's something else to life besides trash. So that was part of freedom, to be able to perceive beauty, to give myself time to rest and soak in the great mystery of stars, of planet. This is a planet that's hurtling through space and yet somehow life lives on it. You know, to, to acknowledge the massive great mystery that I live in and that I'm a part of. This I perceive as freedom, the freedom to be able to work. I mean, right now we have our constitutional rights violated and our freedoms are violated. So as a, as a people in the U.S. and in other countries as well, we are not free. We have been imprisoned. So this, this is a big deal. Yet people are rioting about something else. You know, it's like, we come back to there is 40 million people who are now starving in the U.S. because they can't work. They can't feed themselves and their family. This is a crisis. This is the crisis. We need our freedom to be able to work, to earn our money, to pay our, our houses and to buy our food so that our family can live. There are freedoms on the different levels. Mm. True. So true. I love the way you say that. That resonates so profound to me. Choose to live. So that means we must die for the things that we are not. All the uh, illusions, the uh, like Jose says, the hatred. Freedom, like love, is a giant word. It's a word. And we don't really, really understand the whole of freedom. We understand fragments of freedom because when you become free of your addiction then oh now i've got to become free of this free of that free right (laughs) the tyranny of the government (laughs) yeah one after another right it's a big word and it's a you know we have to keep shedding skin more 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 and then who knows what ultimate freedom really is? They tell us that ultimate freedom is enlightenment, realization, and we ain't there yet. So there's still some freedoms more to learn about this word. And with choosing, with choosing life, that's like one of my basic foundational guidelines and principles. So, for example, when 
I was attempting to recover from an addiction, if I chose to smoke a cigarette, if I chose to drink alcohol, I'm choosing the things that dull my life force, that dim my spirit, and that that's actually choosing little deaths. To be brave enough to say, I'm not going to dim my luminosity anymore. I'm not going to dull out anymore. And so step by step, people can start to use that. And I I really encourage our listeners to, because I find it so helpful. It's like when you're about to eat, how do you choose life with your eating? Are you are you eating food that will build your life force or that will dull you out? Are your actions making you brighter or dimmer? Like if you get on Facebook and just totally destroy someone that you knew, you know, and gossip and just spread filth, is that choosing life or are you just choosing filth? Make choices. This is part of the evolving soul is make choices on behalf of your spirit, behalf of your luminosity. And I'll be asking you questions about the other video that I love. I have to use the same word about love. <laughs> That'll be the big question, what love is to you. But before that, I want to make a comment, um, freedom. What if we are already free? There's really nothing to be free from. There's no search anymore. This is it. It's just accessing that place in us or outside of us that is already there. Yeah, it is already there, but perceptions of the mind all are outward. Right. So the, because the mind has actually hijacked your freedom, the mind, yes, it is already there, but most people live in constant suffering because their perceptions are always outward. And as long as you're opinionated, self-righteous, which the mind is all these things, then you are a, pris a prisoner to the tyranny of the mind, which keeps projecting outward. It never wants to go inward because it's scared. It's scared of coming inward. Realization is already here between every thought. Ah, realization. Take a pause. There it is. And then the mind continues to come over and hijack our happiness. Sometimes we are naturally happy, and that is when we're in these moments of realization already. And then all of a sudden, the mind thinks, oh, I'm happy, and then we stop being happy. Anna talks about the word addiction, obsession. So that's what might be the problem is, right, Jose, that we are addicted and obsessed with thinking, with the realm of the mind, and we keep going back to it <laughs> unconsciously. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. The other part of it is we've been fed misinformation our entire life. And so it throws us off. We, we don't know, we're not taught how to use tools to go inside to discover who we are. Like in the Native Americans ceremonies, we have vision questing so that you can quest for who are you? What's worthwhile in you? What's driving you? Who are your medicine allies? You know, and, and we begin to get a sense of ourselves so we're not so easily thrown off by other people's opinions, their prejudices, their attempt to manipulate. But our people don't have those tools. And so we're thrown all over the place by the media, by our schools, by our groups or mobs. We're thrown all over the place because we don't know how to get centered and feel for what's the truth inside. And so learning how to tune in is one of the skills we must develop as human beings because in this modern day culture, we are always focusing outside. We're watching the movies, we're watching the computer, we're watching the cell phone, it's outside, outside, outside. And the information is corrupt, it's polluted. It's like, it's like informational pus. There is much virtue and nutrition in it a lot of it is poison and we ingest that every day and we wonder why we feel poisoned it's because we are so as we choose to take responsibility for our precious life we begin to weed out that which poisons us and i love being in ceremony ceremony more than anything with music ceremony and prayer it brings us so much into the present moment and the only purity is there in the present moment. And then soon the ceremony ends, we sit down and then, mm, oh, the mind's, the mind's coming back. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, what's now? So it's not about turning the mind off, but retraining it too. Retraining focus in the ceremonial way, retraining it to go inside, retraining it to think effectively. Most of us think really ineffectively. And, and so cleaning up the neurosis. So we're not run by a part of us that's so neurotic. I mean, it's sort of like being run by a child having a tantrum. <laughs> True. <laughs> it's funny to me. I laugh a lot of times. Maybe I shouldn't be laughing when I see that, but it's not real. That's what I see. I don't know if you see the way I see. Yeah. It's a really horrible thing to, you know, exist with this and uh, stuck with it. And you, you can't do anything. When people have tried to kill involuntary thought, it doesn't work. It just... You know, you close the door on it and it comes in through the window. So the best, with involuntary thought, you can allow it to keep coming in, but there is absolutely no reason that you have to entertain it or prolong its, you know, sewerage through your system. So that's life. It's like this moment comes like, oh, you know, I'm so depressed about the world situation i think i'll just go get drunk it's like you have a choice point right there you can go that thought and and take action to it but you don't have to yeah and it's actually a stupid way of living why would you follow your most stupid thoughts yeah and you know that there is some days there is some days no matter what practice you do the mind is a bully it's an absolute bully and there is there is no escaping it. There is days like that. And, uh, you know, I to swear on this, Valeria, the, uh, this, you are. You are allowed to swear. Because I'm the type of yoga teacher that, that swears occasionally. And <laughs> some, That's funny. <laughs> because, you know, Anna and I are real teachers. You know, there's no, you know, no bullshit. It, it's cut. After years and years, uh, uh, thousands of years of Indian gurus calling the ego the troublemaker in our process, you know, that we have to disband the ego to find happiness. If the word had come up with the problem was, and uh, thanks to all my black American friends out there, and we have many, is we call this the motherfucker in the mind. Now, the motherfucker... <laughs> which we, with all my uh, hip-hop and rap friends out there, the mind is the bully. It's an absolute bully. It can make people take their lives. It can make people do irrational things. It is a really horrible part of thought, which is part of the collective human consciousness. So we all know what it is. It doesn't matter who you are. That part of the mind, that bully, is there for all of us. And there's times you must totally, totally, like Anna did, the addict in her, she had to, she had to retrain that or snip that. There's many, many ways, but this troublemaker in the mind has actually the world, the state of the world right now, to me, it looks like the motherfucker in the mind is show in the USA right now. So true. And that leads to my question. I know you have been talking about it, but I'll ask you the question. At this time, with what is happening, what do you think is the world's greatest need? You know, this is going to sound really corny. I don't want to sound superficial, but it is the world's, it's the cliche of all cliches. And Mr. John Lennon Thank you. Really, truly, people do need love. And when you have enemies, and all of us have, all of us have enemies, you can fight them back, you can say horrible things to one another, you can do whatever you like, but the best process there is is to let go of your enemy with love. Because while you allow your enemy to bring up hatred and all these horrible feelings inside yourself, then your enemy has won the battle. Because really, what enemies try to do to us 
is project their misery and hatred onto us. So we got to wish our enemies well, or they're never going to leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> true. So true. Yeah. And, you know, some people say like, oh, you have to love your enemy. And it's like, that might be too advanced. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> true too. Spend yourself and love yourself enough to then able to view whoever this person is that you're having a problem with and, and have some compassion for them. Like it must be hell on wheels to wake up as them every day. With that bitterness and the desire to attack and destroy, it's like what a horrible life to live. Yeah, true. Yeah. Look at that. Take a look at that. Do you want to keep living with the main reason to live is to attack somebody else? There's something better to yeah. do than that. And it's really disturbing, Valeria. Now, like a difference of opinion, people have a difference of opinion. It goes straight to the gutter. It goes straight to hatred. You know, the two political parties in America now are in a war of hate. You know, people on Facebook are in a war of hate. Social media is uh, everywhere. There, There is hate, hate. And there comes a time you just got to step back, step back and, and uh, just not get involved in, in this stuff or allow it to pollute your mind. I know a lot of friends now have... Uh, you know, stopped Facebook because it was really detrimental to their health to wake up every day with bad news, bad news, day in, day out. So maybe we put our bad news down and do a yoga class and how you can do best to this world is not burning down a church or pillaging or writing hateful posts. How you can best serve this planet right now is working yourself on your own compassion and understanding of the shortfalls of the human being and of clean up your own backyard clean up your own backyard you are already in the collective consciousness you're putting a bit of fresh air in there because we're all in the mind I, I don't care what anybody says you know we're all connected humankind is collective consciousness whether they believe it or not is irrelevant because that just is and when people are stuck in their stuff in their depression in their hate and their whatever really doing yoga helps dismantle that that uh sewage pit and if you stick with it like 90 minutes or an hour whatever you can manage then you inevitably feel more centered more quiet you feel refreshed and easier to connect into a different place inside of you besides a cesspool. And we use yoga, it's like sometimes just as basic as brushing our teeth every day. We use yoga to clean every day, clean us inside, clean our cell tissue, clean our thinking. And then there are days where we can vision quests on the yoga mat and make these profound, wondrous, magical connections just on the yoga mat. That's too, is let me use this. Let me use this time to make a profound breakthrough of some sort. Yes. Maybe it's a deep breath that I felt all the way through inhale, all the way through exhale, and I didn't have a whole babble process going on. That could be a breakthrough. True. I'll be asking you, a few questions about your book, exactly about this, the practice of yoga. Love the images too. I have not practiced yoga in my life, so I don't know much about it, but I have tried. And I'll ask you a few questions about that in a moment. But before that, let me ask you the question about love. What is love to you? Uh, love is freedom. <laughs> How one cannot without love is freedom. Now, a lot of people. Again, we are talking about the biggest word in the English vocabulary, uh, vocabulary. So this is what we only understand a fragment of this word, just a fragment. We To have the total understanding of love is to have the total understanding of the universe and everything in it, really. Love is a freedom. It is a sense of freedom. It's being able to see yourself in everything, to, to be able to see yourself with the river, with the mountain, 
with the birds, to, to see yourself within nature. And that's why when I wrote the poem about love, I wanted absolutely clear love was interpenetrated in every single cell of nature. The way the bird is, uh, the, the, the flying eagle in the sky, the beautiful flow of the river, the mountainside, everything was permeated by love. And yeah. You know, maybe she can play that that poem in in this interview. Uh, because a lot of people, when uh, throughout my life, when what is love? Oh yes, I met this woman, and and uh, you know, she was the love of my life, and that I felt mean. this. Yes, yes. Now that <laughs> <laughs> that's true, but I I I don't sound horrible or anything, but the understanding of love with a lot of humans that I can see, is just dead bodies living together. Dead bodies that, you know, once had a sparkle, then they moved in together, and now it's more like a contractual obligation. You know, we're married, we have a ring on the finger, we're paying off a mortgage, we're both working, and it's just two dead bodies watching television. (laughs) Uh, not a good uh, vision, yeah. That is not love. And and relationships, yeah, love has no conditions. You know, a lot of my friends, you know, uh, if you love me, then you you won't go out with your girlfriends or you, or, or you won't do this or you – it has conditions. So it's like a contract. And this is not love when, when there's conditions there. So – must be a total sense of freedom and you must be able to see yourself with all nature you know you cannot want to harm animals or harm nature or pillage nature and know know the true sense of love and Anna and I are both vegans and we love we love animals we animals as our brothers and sisters we don't see as better than the animals or better than the trees. And this is why when I wrote the poem Love, I wanted to give like a universal sense that love is is in the raindrops. It's in the, you know, mountains reaching for the stars. It's, it's, it's everywhere. But the, the best bit of advice in the poem itself was that love lies underneath our ruins. And it's for all afflictions. That that line always got me. And I, whenever I feel myself in trouble, I come back to that line. So here's another choice point is when you choose to connect in love. And sometimes, like I said, people make choices that, that are too hard to do. Like, oh, I have to love my enemy. Well, you may not be able to do that, nor may it be appropriate. But can you start with yourself or maybe your cat? For me, love was a really interesting quest because I did not grow up with love. So I literally did not have neuroreceptors for love. And at a certain point in my life, I got brave enough. I got off of that life and death edge that I got brave enough to find out, well, I personally think love is a delusion and I don't, I don't believe in it. I've never experienced it. Therefore, it doesn't exist. But I'm going to go on quest for it and find out if there is love. And so I had to literally build my ability to feel it. So when I, when I allowed my heart to open when I was pet, petting a kitten or leaning up against a tree or seeing the stars, how my heart wanted to quiver and respond, and I would shut down and shut down, just habitually shut down. because. My life was about shut down to to get courageous enough, core, courageous, to let my heart feel that without, oh, I can only love Jose if he follows my, my set of rules because otherwise he's going to hurt me. That's not going to work. Yes, there are agreements in a relationship that honor the relationship, like not having lies or extramarital affairs or whatever it is, but there is there is a choice. Like one of my challenges each day was, can I experience love at least for a minute today? So I would usually go to nature or go to an animal to help myself with that because 
humans were just too complicated for me. But one of the places that I first started feeling love with humans was with my students. When I was seeing them and we got into this zone, my heart opened to them. But it was a very conditional love. They need to be doing what I was saying. And it was in the yoga room. And after the yoga room, you know, once I stepped out, I didn't have that feeling. So I had to learn to love in increments. Both of you talk about love without conditions. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Absolutely, yeah. You know, it it really, there needs to be self-love and that's where it needs to start. And it's not a selfish thing to love the self because most don't like who they are. Yoga room all over the world, I see it time and time and time again. The biggest problem that we are working on in the room is self-hatred. I can't believe how close the human psyche is to suicide. Here we see all these bright-faced young yogis. And when we start talking the truth, they're telling us that there's a fine line between their relation and their suicide. So we can't stress enough that self-love must always come first. And doing yoga, having, uh, looking after yourself with food, going for a walk in nature, learning an instrument, learning something, a program of insight, any program of insight. And what I mean by that is writing, reading, acting, something that takes the mind away from its self-pity and self-destruction. You're in this state, you need to take a detour. You're not going to go straight to self-realization. That's It, it ain't going to happen. So we need to take this this venomous part of ourselves, and we need to give it like like a child. Uh, you need to give it like uh, going to bed at this time, eating at this time, like a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to care for it and carefully roster its time out. If not, if you're going to sit around, there's no chance because a neurotic mind needs to be moved. If you let it still. If you let the neurotic mind still, it will take over. It will really take you. Once you start moving, walking, yoga, jogging, swimming, whatever, just move it. I found that an inherent of learning love for myself, that was hard for me. What I kept coming back to was self-respect, doing things that built my self-respect. And then that opened the door to being able to experience love. And sometimes it would be like, okay, I'm feeling love for my students, but that's still not an experience I can turn on myself. And I would energetically see these like huge tendrils reaching from my heart to my students. And I'd take these tendrils and turn them back and plug them back into my own heart. Like how to send this exquisite energy into myself and make that part of my cell and soul food. Like, this is my responsibility to do. I'm not waiting for the the great shaman in the sky to come and love me like I'm some little baby having to be repurposed that way. It's like, how do I create love in my life? Do I create it? Make it an action. It's interesting how it's easy to love nature outside the ocean. Uh, I love the ocean. But then it's actually here too, uh, the ocean is inside of you too. The mountains, everything's in you as well. Oh, you are it. There's no, like you said earlier, Jose, everything's connected. Consciousness is one consciousness, not two. And these are the indigenous teachings that we are brought up with, that all is our relations, the mountains, rivers, animals. And when the Native American says to all my relations, he's not talking about his grandmother and grandfather, although that is inclusive. He is seeing the tree as a brother, the river as a mother, the moon. You are part of it all, but people have lost their mystery because the mind has hijacked the person. And the mystery, a lot of people, one thing we love about the indigenous cultures, as they were before white man's poison came into these cultures, was that they had a certain mystery and a connection to the whole universe. 
And this is what's been lost now. People are very skeptical of spirit. They're skeptical of psychic awareness. They're skeptical. They're skeptical of everything. The only thing people want to know now is science. Oh, what's the science? What does the doctor say? What's the vaccination say? What's this say? You know, all the spiritual aspect out of life at the moment. And when you do that, it is really fucking dangerous when you exclude all spiritual content and you just allow unchecked emotions to be running this society. And that's what's happening now, unchecked emotions. And think that everything is a conspiracy or everything is far-fetched or, you know, they've lost the magic. But if you stop to think for a minute, we are on a ball of mud called the earth. We are traveling at 66,000 miles an hour around the sun in an infinite universe and the infinite infinite multiverse, 30 trillion miles at a this is a miracle guys (laughs) it is a miracle you know this miracle we are and we've forgotten we've totally we're looking down at our feet and we've stopped looking at the stars so your offering is for me looking up at the star fields is one of the places i first connected to love i absolutely love the stars (laughs) then i had a realization one day in my yoga that i had star particles in my bones and so this that i absolutely wildly passionately part of it i have star particles in my, and that and so does the mountains and that's the connection we have star particles and they're more powerful than their than the neurosis <laughs> right right uh, yes so star particles in your bones and flesh Well, we are not lost, not yet. We're coming back to it, (laughs) remembering. I have hope, although I don't like using that word hope that much, but... It's okay to have hope, I think. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, because when we work with our students, after the class, we want them to take away tools, but we also want them to build their own sense of hope, their own sense of, why am I getting up this morning? Why am I going to get up this morning? You're going to get up this morning to do your yoga, to go for a walk, to say your prayers, to to do your job. Uh, so it, it, it's good to have hope. Maybe hope to me a lot of times meant the illusions, just these ideas in the mind, trying to create a reality that doesn't exist because I want to escape from this one, from the now and be in the future. So I'm trying to hope and think in a different way. Maybe that's why the way I, I thought before, but now it's changing, I guess. I want to uh, ask Anna about her book. Uh, what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Fierce Medicine, Breakthrough Practices to Heal the Body and Ignite the Spirit? It came through my teaching, which is, you know, I am a teacher. That is one of the reasons why I'm here on this planet at this time. I would once in a great while be compelled to tell some piece of my life story as a teaching story because it would provide a way through one of my students' darkness or swamp that they were stuck in. Like, yeah, I understand that that absolute self-loathing that you have with your bulimia, your eating disorder, and this is what I did that helped me through and helped me heal that. And people kept saying, you should write your, write your life down. You should write your stories down. And I just kept saying, no, 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 no. And then at a certain point, one of my students said that to me again. And the answer that came out was, yes, I will. And I wrote that to help people. These are embarrassing things I'm writing about. I'm a private person. And because I thought it would be more important to send these tools out that I know work. And it's, again. It's like I have been in these hopeless places. Don't give up. There's a way through. That's Pierce medicine. A lot of times we use the words surrender and acceptance, letting go, which I love these words. But then some people confuse them with giving up. So how do we know the difference between letting go and giving up? Well, there's certain things to give up. Like if you give up your alcohol, that's a good choice. Yeah. Right. If you 
life, some have to end up in, in hitting bottom in order to change your direction. So it'll feel like giving up, but there's a connect to your life is worth living. It really is. But the stupid things that dull your life are not worth doing. Give those up. And be able to recognize that. Yeah, it's very important. So it goes back to reconnecting to ourselves, yeah, knowing ourselves. And recognizing that is, is part of the path of wisdom. And, and letting go isn't really giving up. Letting go is, is, is letting go of our control or our need to try to control everything. Mm. And some things are just uncontrollable. And, uh, you know, my years on the road with my Indigenous dance company, I found we, we performed the four corners of this planet at uh, some of the world's biggest events. And I started as trying to control everything, but then I found this really happy medium of just letting go, doing everything that I can in the situation, then leaving it in the hands of the elders or the spirits or the 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 ancestors. Okay, I'll do everything I can here, but the need to control everything, I'm going to let go. I found a very beautiful form of management in business in the physical world of letting go, but never at all, never did I give up. So there is a little bit of difference in, in letting go and giving up. I love the way you say letting go of the control. There is actions to take, but like when we are trying to control another to force them to think the way that we think, that's one of the things to let go of. You can share your ideas, you can share your differences of opinion, and that can be really fascinating. Yeah. But it's, you have to think the way I think or you're bad. Mm. It's like... Oh, that shit. And, and right, now, we've got no control. Like we don't, we can't work. We we don't know if our job is on next week or not. Like we have a teacher training uh, for Berlin at the end of this month, but we've just heard no people in the USA are allowed into Europe indefinitely now, as of today. And there's just nothing you can do. Yeah, that stuff's out. <laughs> that's out of our. But we can take actions that keep us centered sane and also uh acts of creativity that that feed up and feed and satisfy us we can do those things or we can collapse in a little sodden de despairing ball of like oh my god i can't work and then but that that's not very helpful yeah so managing uh you know the forest yoga uh i do the business side of, of forest yoga as well because i absolutely love business even though i'm a composer I find whether I'm composing a symphony on a keyboard or whether I'm com or whether I'm doing emails for business, I have the same love in both things. And now there is absolutely nothing I can do to control this business. Nothing. Uh, everything changes. Every day we wake up. Every day is a winding road. Every day is new information. You're not allowed into Europe. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. You know, there comes a time we really must let go. I've reached that stage so many times in my life. Just let go, do what you can, but don't give up. <laughs> that sounds to me like unconditional love in a way. It's like during this lockdown, we created these two video online series, Under One Sky and May the Rainbow Always Touch Your Shoulder. And we took a risk with this because we didn't have anybody financially backing us up and it was really hard to get anybody to to come and work with us because people were so scared and having to wear their masks and, you know, the whole world is contagious. We've been taught that we are contagious to each other now. It's just been horrible teachings. And in the midst of that, we created something beauty from the, our love and our skill and our wisdom, and we put it out in the world. It's like, here's some tools for you. Here's something beautiful to soak into your mind and heart and spirit. And this is what we can do. And I hope our listeners will go check those out because they are articles and teachings of beauty and freedom. Oh, yeah. I'll have the links to your work on the podcast profile and I'll be doing the promotional work. That's what I love to do, promoting and sharing wisdom. Jose talks about business. Yeah, that's the business that I'm completely passionate about, wisdom. 
wonderful when you love your job. <laughs> yeah, it it's not a job anymore, right? <laughs> <The way>. uh, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> and uh, we need to bring our passion to our work. You know, sometimes do you prefer to play the guitar or do you prefer to do email? And I said, I love both equally. I'm the same person, the guitar player, keyboard player, song, song man, same person as the businessman. I don't. And I want to offer something beautiful from Jose because I've, I've stumbled with the business a lot and I've learned a lot about how to love your business from Jose. Like one of the things I hated was sitting in front of the computer just to <laughs> and emails. Oh my God. Right. Emails all day and done. Jose said that his email are like the little seeds of the bright future that he wants to create. Mm. So when he sends email out, he sends it with that kind of blessing, that kind of attention and prayer. And it's like, I needed to hear that. Wow. And that's gratitude. Another huge component of love, unconditional love. Right. Beautiful. I wish I would have another three hours to talk to you because I'd love to hear the poem too, the love poem that Anna mentioned earlier. But let me ask you these two questions and perhaps we can still do that. If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you change anything or do anything differently? Not really, no. Uh, but we, uh, if we knew we were, like, like, do you mean if we were going to die in an hour's time, what would we yes, do? Yeah, or something like that. Or, yeah, we wouldn't. We, 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 who we are, because with who we are, certainly, I would certainly do a ceremony, just give thanks for the life that I did have. I think, you know, what I would do is, is take Jose's hands, go sit outside, and leave leave our flesh to feed the trees as we go soar in the stars. That's love. <laughs> That's pure love. <laughs> Other question is, what are three things about life that you know for sure as of now? Mm, that's that now that's very tricky because love is is certainly one. I'm not saying I understand the totality of love, but I know enough of the fragments of gigantic word to know that this is the main ingredient in life. And without love, you got nothing. Plus everything. So love would definitely would be the first thing. The second thing I would choose is integrity. There is nothing worse than being dishonest or with person and saying a different thing to the other person. Always be the same person. And the third word for me, especially myself, is creativity. To use my life like a canvas, like a blank canvas and paint my pictures. Because I play the piano, because I sing, drum, write, this is my world. Creativity is my world. And I can express love in many, in all my creations, whether they're spoken words like the poem love or whether they're piano pieces. I express love with music uh, because music can do things that words cannot. So they're key words. Yes. Now I think of three different ones. <laughs> right? Oh, a bit, bit tough now. <laughs> that was beautiful. Choosing to reconnect to feel love because it's feel that. It's like make that choice. Also, very important for me on a daily basis as a part of evolving my own soul is to commune with the great mystery. Take moments like, wait, whether I'm doing my yoga pose or walking or whatever it is to make that spirit connection and to stay true to my spirit pledge of doing my part in mending and healing the rainbow hoop of the people. Ask me this tomorrow, I might have a different response, but those are the things that come up right now. It has been a beautiful and Wonderful experience to talk to both of you. Yeah, the presence can be felt too, although we cannot see each other. But yeah, it's here. You're here. <laughs> You're here. And it's profound and beautiful. So I have one more technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your work, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, everything can be found in two places. The main place to find everything that Anna and I do 
is www.forest.yoga. Now, forest is spelled with a double R. A lot of people spell forest with one R. So that's F-O-R-R-E-S-T dot yoga, forest dot yoga. And then our other project is www.descendants.com.au, which is an Australian uh, venture of our indigenous organization there. Now, a lot of people can't spell descendants because they put a C in it, but it's actually D-E-S-C-E-N-D-A-N-C-E, descendants, a play on words.com.au. In those two places, everything Anna and I are and do is in those places, but the forest yoga stuff has everything. Great, really great. Thank you so much again, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yes, thank you, Valeria. And maybe you can do more at another time. You, you know, Valeria, yeah. you asked the best questions. Mm-hmm. Interviews a year, and your questions were like deep. Thank you for the questions. They they really made us stretch the imagination. Yeah, thank you for your answers and your wisdom. Thank you. So bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Anna Forrest and Jose Calarco, please visit their website, forest.yoga. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.